Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome special guests, Todd Degelman and Chad Pruden of Wellington Altus Private Wealth, where Todd is founder, senior investment advisor, and vice chairman, and Chad is senior investment advisor. Wellington Altus is one of the fastest growing wealth advisory firms in Canada. On the show, Todd and Chad discuss their career backgrounds and keys to success in wealth management, their outlook for equity markets, bonds, and inflation, asset allocation, and what is top of mind for high net worth investors, what differentiates Wellington Altus from the big banks, and more. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with Todd and Chad of Wellington Altus. I'm excited to have Todd and Chad from Wellington Altus Private Wealth on the show today to chat about Everything markets, asset allocation, investment advisory, all the fun stuff, all the stuff that is top of mind for investors these days. So thanks, guys, for coming on the show. I want to start off with just a quick overview on each of your backgrounds, specifically your career trajectory, your current role at Wellington Altus Private Wealth, and just to give uh, our listeners and audience a quick rundown of just you know where you've been and where you're at currently. So, Todd, do you want to start out? Sure, sure. My background, uh, I started the business in 1994. I was trained and uh, worked at Scotia McLeod for about seven years. Uh, then I, I met a guy named Charlie Spiring who uh, just started at Wellington Altus, or sorry, Wellington West back then, and uh, jumped on board with him to not only bring my practice over, but to help build that company with him. Spent six, seven years on the road taking that company from $700 million to $10.3 billion. We ended up selling it to National Bank. Uh, spent six years uh, with handcuffs on uh, to stay with them after the sale. And uh, found out quite quickly that the only thing worse than being at a bank-owned firm was getting the chance to be at an independent and coming back to the bank-owned firm. And so quickly <laughs> we realized it was time to open up our company again. Uh, April 2017, I co-founded Wellington Altus with Charlie Spiring and Sean Hauser in in four years, we built the company from zero to over. We're reaching right around 18 billion of assets and, uh, you know, on the road to 40, 50 billion here. So uh, we're just having a great time uh, building something pretty unique. Okay, great. And Chad, how about yourself? Yeah, so I uh, started out in that uh, uh, bank channel as well. Started out in, I think it was like 2007. So it's just a great time to start as an investment advisor. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of life lessons uh, real, real fast. So uh, I worked in the bank channel for just shy of 10 years and yeah, just felt the same kind of pressures. Um, you know, had a lot of clientele where you're trying to be all things to all people. And I think that's a hard process to run. So um, was looking, you know, traditional way to go, go kind of uh, through your big bank uh, brokerages and heard of this goofy guy named Todd Degelman. So I thought I'd come and have an interview with him and, uh, he uh, kind of said all the right things and decided to take a take a complete 180 and go into the independent channel and uh, haven't looked back since. So it's been a, a good journey. And 
I think it just evolves with how the world's moving too. So it was a good fit. I really, I really wanted to focus on how the the being independent is dramatically different than being at one of the big Canadian banks. But prior to that, just wanted to clarify that Wellington Altis is effectively, you know, the second edition, the first one, Wellington West, which was obviously very successful, so sold for a ton of money to national banks, started up Wellington Altis uh, a number of years ago and, you know, kind of not necessarily redoing the same playbook, but building something uh, from scratch into something large, as you indicated, currently 18 billion on your way to uh, 40 to 50 billion. So Canada is a very unique market environment in that you have this big bank consortium, this quasi oligopoly that tends to dominate uh, investment advisory services, distribution, etc. What are some of the key features and benefits of being independent and then well in Wellington Altus uh, specifically, and and how does that benefit clients? Yeah, no, great, great question. There's probably about five questions within that question, but uh, <laughs> you know, for the clients itself, and 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 I think that's the number one thing when we thought about creating a different firm and an independent firm. You know, instead of always reporting to the, the the shareholder, you know, why don't we report to the client, and why don't we invert that triangle? And if we do what's right by the clients. Advisors will do well. Management will do well. The company will do well. So you know that's that's kind of the philosophy. Just overcare, drive the client experience to the best that we can. And if we do by do right by the client, you know the, the firm will take care of itself, and and others will come. You know, um, in terms of specific things that I think are are positive to being at an independent. You know, number one, we don't sell any proprietary products. You know, we don't. You don't go to a bank and get sold the bank mutual fund. You know, we're on the same side of the coffee table as the client. Uh, there's no tight selling. You know, the one thing that frustrates me so much nowadays is we actually pick up the phone. And I don't know, every time I call a bank, I can never get the guy I want to talk to. Right. And it's just, just trying to care more. You know, uh, we can make decisions on the spot. We don't have to go through three levels of management to get authorization, uh, which holds things up and, and creates time delays. Um, we're it's a very much a team approach as slash I always call it the Wellington family. You know, we we celebrate everybody's wins and successes and and we try to truly help each other. And if you have that team approach, you know, you can look at any good sports team. The, the teams that win the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl are the guys that play like a team. And there's an additional level of excellence that happens when when you're a team player. You know, that's our motto. And you can only do that if you have a culture that truly cares about the guy in the desk next door to you and happy for his wins. You know, technology is leading edge. You know, you get the benefit of starting a new platform. Obviously, you get cloud-based type of products and softwares that you might not get at the bank because they're using these old freight liners, I used to say. And we got, we're a little speedboat that are very agile. It can move around these, these freight liners really quickly. And in the end, we get to pick who we want to work with. So a guy like Chad, he's obviously an all-star, you know, a great talent. I want to find talented people. I want to find talented people out there uh, that are entrepreneurial minded. And if you have that, um, you're going in the right direction. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution 
providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies, and one easy-to-use, one-choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One-Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1CONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Then moving a little bit to where we are at in, in terms of the current market environment, the equ- equities really have been on a tear um, since March of 2020, kind of in the depths of the COVID pandemic. They've been you know, a very much a V-shaped recovery. Now, a little bit of uh, equities rolling over now in September of 2021 um, and into October What's what's your outlook for the equity markets moving forward? Run. No, no, no. I'm just I'm just joking. Uh, no, I think it that's such a that's such a tough question. Um, you know, I really believe that you know you should you should build a risk portfolio. So instead of focusing on you know equities go up and down, I think you should you know get the asset allocation right. And that's very boring, and you probably just lost half your listeners now, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I think it's been lost. I think you're right. We've been in this straight uh, one regime style for so long. Like we've been in this one quadrant of, uh, you know, high growth, low inflation for a long time. And I think a lot of portfolios are set up that way. I think a lot of portfolios are still set up with two asset classes, stocks and bonds. And you know, the problem is, is they continue to do well. And the hardest time to make a change in something is when it's doing well. I think you got to, you know, we're gonna have to be careful, I think with valuations kind of creeping in, but going back to, you know, do we have a shift in the quadrant? You know, do we move from a, as I said, a, a high growth, a low inflation to heaven forbid a stagflation type of scenario where we have high inflation, low growth, which is you know, a really, really tricky one to get through. And we'll see how, um, you know, the Federal Reserve handles that. If you look, if he's going to, is he going to push, you know, inflation or is he going to push unemployment, right? Is he going to push job growth? And it sounds like he wants to push job growth and sounds like he thinks inflation is transitory and it's not here to stay. But I, I think you should always be cautious. I think you should always know your pain threshold. So it doesn't necessarily, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. I think if you, if you sit down with someone and they tell you where the stock market's going to go, you should probably run pretty fast because I think ultimately nobody knows. And so it's been a boring approach to have an asset allocation. Asset allocation hasn't been rewarded for so many years. And I think it's going to come to fruition now too. Like if we start to see some downs and the downs actually stay, like, you know, you go through COVID and you only had what, two, three weeks of pain and, whew, and it's over. Right. So I think we need to take a look at that. I think rates continue to be a, you know, probably something you should focus on as well. I'd be willing to bet that uh, listeners of the Absolute Return podcast love hearing about asset allocation. But I digress. You touched on some good points with respect to interest rates, uh, a two-asset portfolio, and kind of the dangers of not necessarily being diversified. I did want to touch on the fixed income side of that equation because bonds, despite the 10-year being at 1.5%, a uh, very low yield, uh, significantly lower than inflation currently, which is obviously problematic. I was just wondering, how do you feel about fixed income in the current market environment? So this is, I would say, um, and Todd can chime in on this if he wants to, but to me, this is my biggest worry 
you know, with the clientele that we deal with, if you're a retiring individual and you need to make X and rate of return, it's like, how much can I, how much more juice can I get from this? Yeah. And so this is probably, we've had lots of people in the podcasting in this story. Uh, and it's been a hard call to get the rate call right. But, you know, it's, I just think it has massive, massive implications go forward. You, you kind of alluded to it when inflation is higher than what you're making, your net after tax rate of return is negative. And does it, you know, do bonds act as a ballast anymore? You know, in 2018, you got a you got a quick taste of what that was like when the market went down, and you know your two asset class diversification portfolio all went down. And so, I think what happens is if you have low rates, what you have to do is you get pushed to areas that you don't necessarily want to be. And so, do you get pushed to high yield? And you know, even at I, I'm not sure the current yield, but let's say the current yield on a high yield bond index is. 5%, like in your 5% rate of return you need to make, you're, you're still not quite almost getting to your goal after tax. But you've now masked a portion of your portfolio that was supposed to be a ballast against for equities that now is becoming volatile like equities. So I think, you know, the defined contribution pension plan uh, is it going to be really, really tough. We just met a client the other day and, you know, 40% of their capital of, you know, a $6 million account is in a bond index fund. And does that give you any type of rate of return? So to me, you could spend podcasts or podcasts on this topic. It's just, it's been such a, to me, it's the biggest risk go for it. I think equities are going to do their thing, but it'll be the interest rate decision of uh, how you have a sleep at night when portfolios go up and down. Yeah, especially over the past 40 years, you've had the benefit in your bond portfolio of interest rates falling. And now year to date, uh, 10 years gone from below 100 basis points to now above 150 basis points. So bonds have done poorly year to date. You're still seeing inflows into bond funds, but it seems, and you know, many pros think that perhaps the great 40-year bond bull market is over and we could be in for a rising rate environment. So Wondering what your thoughts are, because effectively, you know, when you're thinking about fixed income, you're implicitly making some sort of interest rate forecast. We have seen it trending up year to date, and the inflation measures would give you the signal that perhaps that could continue. Do you have an outlook for interest rates in the longer term? And, you know, where do you think they would settle, say, in the next few years? So I think that again goes back to the equity question. Extremely tough to forecast. I, you know, if we, if I had our chief economist on the call here, he would say, you know, lower for longer. Right. Um, I don't think it's something that where you can take, you know, we can take the bond purchasing away maybe a little bit, and we'll see how that goes. But I don't know if you can crank rates up really, really fast. So I honestly don't know the number, but I would say lower for longer. Um, and I don't think you can. I don't think a negative rate, a low rate environment has been shown to work. If you look to Europe and things like that, would have tried a negative interest rate is, isn't going to work. So I do think you need to look at your diverse, you know, if you get into asset allocation, which is like, you know, my true baby of my real passion of, I think you need to get right. It's do you have to shift away from a, a, a two position uh, portfolio? Yeah, it's a really good point on asset allocation. I do want to get into how you think about that, your asset allocation framework. But prior to that, 
Uh, one other market dynamic that I wanted your thoughts on was inflation, obviously coming in significantly higher than expectations. There's this discussion of whether it's transitory or not. Certainly the nature of it is probably likely lasting longer than the central bankers have indicated. I was wondering, do you think that it makes sense for investors to have some inflation protection in their portfolios? I, I, I don't. I don't put inflation protection in. I think inflation protection is just really common shares and buying good quality businesses. And uh, I think that's the best inflation protection. On fixed income, we're starting to use more unique strategies as alternatives to some of the fixed income we normally put in accounts, but uh, uh, I haven't used um, any inflationary specific products for for my portfolios to date. I think inflation is a sticky one too. You know, if you look at, you know, we're seeing rising energy um, prices, uh, supply chain disruption throughout the world. Uh, the one that's kind of I've been keeping my eye on is is rent. You know, rent rates through two thousand. You, know, you couldn't see rental uh, rate increases, and now you start to see that catch up really fast, like double-digit growth in rents. So, I think that's tricky. And then I think you have, you know, this this wage uh, debacle going on too, like where you know you can't find people to come come work, and so do you have wage inflation, which I think could really start the question to get it to get it rolling. You know, someone working at Uber or DoorDash or Skip the Dishes can make thirty bucks an hour. You know, nobody wants to go do the blue collar jobs that make 15, 16 bucks an hour. So there's a there's a pretty big gap of where I think things have to come up to. And if you look at wage growth at three to four percent, that works in the current regime of this low inflation. But it sure as heck does not work in a high inflationary environment. So, uh, again, chief economist uh, does believe inflation is transitory, but inflation is tricky. Because inflation is like a rubber band wrapped around a brick and you pull and pull and pull and the brick doesn't move. And then all of a sudden it snaps and it goes. So I like Todd's point. I think, you know, if you're, are you running a prediction portfolio? Right. And that's a great thing is like, we don't run prediction portfolios. I think it's incredibly hard to predict. We run risk portfolios. And so if we can, if that's a risk that we want to be cautious of, I think we can make tilts in the portfolio. And it's been a tricky call. If you've made a bet into gold as of, you know, last little bit, you kind of got your clock cleaned a little bit too, because it's been a pretty volatile asset class. And are you getting the risk premium that you are from gold when you could go into another equity or another asset class? Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson for investors is prediction is basically impossible when you're trying to predict inflation rates, equity risk premium. Uh, any exogenous macro events that are really unforeseeable, whether it's a global pandemic or a great financial crisis, really no one had foreseen those or the ones that do are basically calling for some sort of bear market every year and are consistently wrong. So it makes sense to have that uh, risk portfolio, as you indicated, or an asset allocation framework. Can you talk about... And I think, well, just on that point, Julian, I think it's a, it's a great topic because that's the tricky thing when it comes to investing. That's a tricky thing if you have client, like a client listening to this podcast or you know, one of our clients. It's like, how do you do the due, due diligence? Like if you're a predicting portfolio, was it something that you know, was researched and got right or was it luck? Right? Like in investing, is the, tr the tricky thing with investing is you can have like the, 
absolutely worst design portfolio and the market can take a, a slight V and reward that risk. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> is that good? You know, if you're an engineer and you build a bridge and the bridge collapses, you know who to go after. Right. Right. Here, it's it's tricky because you don't know the underlying risk. And did you did the risk get paid off? And so that's the, tucky, the tricky thing right now is investing is bad decisions can be rewarded all the time and good ones not. And it's hard to stick to the course when someone else's bad decision is getting rewarded. And my good decision isn't. And it's hard to stick the course because we live in like this fire hose of information nowadays and you turn your head one way and you know facebook and instagram were out for six hours yesterday so i wonder how many people lost information and had to make their own judgment calls so i think it's tricky as the advisor or the 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 client now is what to believe and that is a very very hard point and hopefully investors aren't getting their advice from uh, Instagram these days or TikTok or any of those channels, but they seem to be popular with the younger type investor. Um, some interesting things that that I like talking about is the notion of, say you are the perfect predictor of overarching macro themes, for example, inflation or you know some sort of pandemic. The ability to select the right security and know exactly how it's going to play out, that's extremely difficult. It's like, you know, if someone told you inflation was going to print north of 5%, would you expect the 10-year yield to be like 1.53%? It's like, no, no one would think that, but that's, that's great, what's that's happening. That's a great point. And there's a, there's a great article, and I can share it with you. I don't know if you have show notes or what, but um, I can't remember who did it, but it, like over the past 90 years up until like 2019, don't quote me on the numbers exactly, but I think 86% of the stocks in the S&P 500 accounted for 16 trillion in wealth creation. Right. 96% of stocks underperformed T-bills, hmm. again, up to 2019. So like the question is, are you smart enough to pick the 4%? And if you look at the names that have caused it, you know, there's been a handful of names. So I think just to, to tack onto your point, I just think that's such a great statistic is, we always want to try and have the winner, but you know you have to get it right twice. You got to buy it and sell it, and you have emotion on both ends of it. And that's what investors are going to face right now. So your outlook for equity markets, you should just probably buy. But you'll always have a grit your teeth moment. You'll never not have a grit your teeth moment. Market can be down. Oh my gosh, it's going lower. Market's high. Oh, it's only going to go down. And so that's where I think you got to get the risk right. And that's uh. It's just, it's boring and complexity doesn't, you know, complexity sells and that's where it gets tricky. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So who have you modeled some of your framework and your investment philosophy after? Yeah, who do we model it after? Any influences? Or is it just, or is it just purely your of your own creation? Yeah, it is our creation, and and when we set up uh, Wellington Altus the second time, and obviously a big part of my role is building the company. But Chad and I still run a, a very large book of business, and 
And when I was thinking about going back and doing this again, um, I had the privilege that probably very few advisors ever get. And I probably interviewed more investment advisors across Canada than anybody else in Canada. I, 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 I challenge anybody if they met more advisors than I have in the last 20 years trying to get them to come to my company uh, from Halifax to Victoria. And what you get is a lot of cups of coffee and what you get is a lot of best ideas. And there's a lot of terrible ideas in there, but there's a lot of great ideas when you're sharing some time together. And what I try to do is take three or four of the best ideas that I had, put it together with Chad in a, in a deck that we felt comfortable doing. And then before we'd actually, before we started selling this uh, idea to our clients, we entertained about three or four different accounting firms and presented it to them and said, okay, we'll blow holes in it break it up. You guys see this stuff all the time. Well, where are we at? And what happened was we ended up getting four or five or six partners of major accounting firms becoming our clients. And we knew we had something. And from that point on, that's the deck we use. That's the presentation we use. And we've had great success uh, with it. I think mean, just to highlight on that point too, great point is, you know, you learn, you know, Todd's been in the industry longer. Um, uh, than I have, and his, he's learned more. But I, you know, I came in at a tough time, so I learned some hard lessons. So I've always been, again, that's where that risk management approach comes from. You know, our primary clientele is someone who's looking to make the transition from an accumulation phase to a deaccumulation phase, and that's a whole podcast in itself, this deaccumulation topic. But you know, we run deaccumulation portfolios for a lot of our clientele because we got to start giving it back to them, which ultimately returns back to your very first question on the outlook for equities and volatility. And I think volatility and risk get mismatched all the time of, you know, risk is risk is the permanent loss of capital. Volatility is the up and down in price. So, you know, Todd, that's been great for Todd and I to uh, for me, especially when we kind of merged our two books together was he really brought that piece uh, to the game as he's seen so much. And, you know, he could really you could bring an idea to him and he can bet it pretty darn quick because he's seen a lot of it. So, um, you know, that's goes back to Todd's team approach. I think you need to be a team. Uh, you need to look for really good talent. That's why we look to you guys um, when it comes to setting up the portfolios because there's a lot of people a lot, lot smarter than me. And, you know, Todd and I are quarterbacks. So, you know, we'll set it up and vet it. But I don't know, gone are the days, I think, of slinging individual stocks. Yeah, you know, we do come across that uh, pretty often, uh, to be honest, but that's more of the old school way, you know, the old school broker way where you're sort of uh, you know, a gunslinger with respect to the individual securities. So you see this, you know, massive divergence in styles and, you know, how an investment advisor is supposed to operate. Now, for those, I wanted to pick your brain on something. For those, say they're new to the advisory business, what would you say are some keys to success uh, to become a successful investment advisor? I'll let Toddy jump onto this one first and I'll end it. You know, you know, we were lucky enough to be named top five uh, advisor in, in Canada three, three years in a row by Wealth Professional. Uh, they ask this question all the time. And, um, you know, I, I think the first one is, you know, as long as I've been an advisor, do what's right for the client and success will follow. It's probably the most important one. A lot of times you get too humpy on trying to bring in assets or do commission or do this or that, or trying to be too comp complicated. You know, my always thought was just really try to do what's right for the client. The rest will follow. Keep it simple. Make it personal and have fun is probably the second one. And that's 
on our microsite. Those are our three words, and that's what I live by. Uh, number two, you know, care more than your competition. Your clients see it. When you're in a meeting, your clients will just get it. They're not going to understand all the jargon and, and philosophy and strategy everybody likes to throw out there. Just show that you really care and care more than anybody else. That's a gut feel, and clients go with their gut. And, um, and number three, uh, Chad mentioned already, is create an all-star team. Like when you build a company like Wellington, all I'm looking for is talent. And on my team, all I'm looking for is talent. So create an all-star team, then try to make it even better. And, uh, and those are my three rules to success as, a, as an advisor. Thanks. Great. I'll just, I'll, I'll, you know, coming, you know, you know, into the industry um, to be a successful advisor. I think it actually even applies to like everything in life is you need to execute, execute, execute. I, I think you, can, you guys should get that tattooed on their forearm or something like that. <laughs> I never forget it because like we all have that. We all have the game plan. Like we all have it. I can, I can show you the financial plan. I can put you through it. You need to execute on it. You need to save this much money. This is the rate of return you need to achieve. You need to execute on that. You want to lose 15 pounds, 20 pounds. You need to execute. You have the plan, right? So I think we get bombarded again by information and so many self-help books and they all start to say the same thing. And at the end of the day, if you're a young advisor, I'm staring out my window right now at two young guys who have just came aboard and these guys are going for it, right? They are pounding the phones. They're getting out there doing it. But what are they doing? They're executing, 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 executing on a daily basis. And my favorite quote is commitment is doing the thing you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. Hmm. And I think if you can do that, we get really jacked up and motivation when your motivation goes away, do you have consistency? And that's probably what's made Todd one of the most successful guys that I know is he's the most motivated bleep, bleep, bleep person. You know, I know the guy continues to go, he travels Canada. He runs a huge book. He's just motivated to the nines. And that's what kind of when I wanted to partner with somebody, that's what I looked for is you got to have someone who's motivated to go. And I think you're probably seeing it with you guys, you know, you guys are motivated to win. Julian's been great. And uh, you just got to keep keep pounding through it. And so another example of that motivation would be that the two of you host a YouTube channel called Todd Talks with Chad. Yeah, it's successful. I definitely en encourage our, our listeners to check it out. Is you, you do have a wide variety of of interviews on there. For example, the, the favorite one that I came across was, was Marshall Falk, um, which, which is awesome to see from, from an advisor group in Saskatchewan. Um, what, what has been your biggest takeaway from, from pursuing that project? I, I, I'll jump in on that one real quick. I, to me, it's just varying opinion. I love it. Like our, I think our very first one was Michelle Romano. Yeah. With and uh, our audio wasn't the best because we were kind of just, slinging into it at the start but you know she had this great advice of you know how do you make a lot of money concentration how do you lose a lot of money concentration and there's a lady who you know started in the caviar business and and swung the bat and missed right and but you know stayed on it and now she's you know extremely successful and if you can ever listen to her speak she's phenomenal then you go to the marshall falk podcast where he talks about you know where he came from uh, I love that. And then uh, the Caleb Dahlgren podcast, which I thought was great to go through adversity. So that's what I love about the podcast is that, you know, everyone's going through something. Everyone needs 
some help. And I think there's always tidbits of information throughout those podcasts. When we do it, it's not all just finance. That's why there are different people on it. But, um, you know, I think it's what you can apply from other people's, you know, lives and and try to apply it to your own. And uh, that's what I love about the podcast. And, you know, we're making massive revenue off that. Like we probably like our, our, our 22 subscribers, like they're diligent followers. So like I went for groceries the other day and I got mobbed. Yeah. Hopefully we can double that for you from our audience here. But before I let you guys go, fun question. If you could only hold one asset for the next 10 years, what would it be and why? Bitcoin. Okay. So, uh, no, I'm sure. NFT. Uh, okay. So this is a good question. Uh, I'll give you like, again, a boring answer. I should probably pick some kind of name, but I read the book 100 Bagger. Yep. And uh, have you read 100 Bagger? Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100 Bagger, it's like, I just love this book. I love this philosophy. So it's more not what I would buy. I would tell you where to hold it and never look at it and have this coffee can approach. So, you know, you look at companies like Netflix uh, that have been 100 Bagger. And we all want this 100 Bagger real quick, but it's over time. You know, Netflix on its way to a hundred bagger had days where it was down multiple days, down 20% in a single day. And the problem with investing is you get picked at all the time, right? You constantly get picked at, you know what you're worth. So I won't give you an individual name. So boring, I know, but I would tell you to find good companies that you believe in and hold them, set them in the coffee can and don't look at them. Incredibly, incredibly hard to do, but that would be my advice of an asset to own. I think it needs to be stocks. Um, and then I would mix in a little bit of one C, just a little bit of a plug there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Todd, what's your call? You know, I, I would for sure, if I was to pick one area, I, I guess I'd be in the tech space. It'd be something on the NASDAQ exchange. Um, but quite truly, you know, I always preach to clients and brokers, you know, what do you know? What do you really know? And, and buy what you know. And I know this business. So you know, I'm biased, but I'll be long Wellington, uh, all the shares all day long. And uh, I get a chance to be a part of something great. I know the business and uh, you get a lot more comfortable when you um, when you know what you're doing in that field. You know, I always I always laugh at the farmer that comes in and really analyzes risk in his portfolio. And I said, hey, you put three million dollars into dirt and hope it comes up and you're talking <laughs> about risk. And uh, I go, that's it's just it's just different. You're totally comfortable with that. That right. scares the crap out of me. So uh, it's it's relative to each individual person. So for me, that's it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense in terms of understanding the risk and be able to bear it. Some people say, well, if you held Amazon since the IPO, you would have made a thousand times your money, but who would have actually hung could on be, yeah, to the 95 percent drawdown that it's gone through yeah. like that's uh, totally. and then and then that's what i say to advisors when i'm on the road it's like okay what do you know best you're giving people investment advice for a living you know your business you know this company you know the banks make money why not own your own company why not own shares in yourself and like-minded people like yourself and that should be the draw to consider a home like wellington altus yeah that makes a lot of sense so say you know, a high net worth individual is looking for uh, an investment advisor. Where can they find out more about you guys? Well, obviously, Todd talks with Chad, but <laughs> tough to get on. Yeah, hey, always on our, our website, Dagelman Prudent Group. You know, go on there, all our contact information on there. Uh, you can attach our emails uh, to the podcast. I, you know, we never really got into that part, but uh, I think that's a very interesting space in the market right now is the high net worth space. 
It's like, what do you do when you have enough, right? What, what, what avenue do you go? Do you lock it down in safety or do you, do you go, go bigger? And to me, like we, this is an investing podcast, but you know, taxation will be the big thing. I think it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Right. And my big passion is taxation is like, you know, they're going to probably come for the top 1%. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? What strategies are being implemented? And it's, it's crazy, but like, we'll sit down with a guy who has, you know, $20 million and his investment advisor and his accountant have never met, never spoke, Hmm. don't know. Right. And so that's been a big thing, I think, to Todd and I's success is, you know, creating this virtual family office of where a client comes in and, you know, we are the Amazon, we have everything, one-stop shop, everyone actually talks to somebody. And so in a, in a world of lost form of communication, I think it's of the utmost importance, especially as the network starts to creep up. So that makes a lot of sense. So Todd and Chad like to thank you for coming on the podcast today. And to our listeners, One thing that I'm coming away with is a quote, care more than your competition. And that's meaningful to basically any business. It's it's always competitive. You got to differentiate yourself, work harder and just care more. And I think that's a great insight that our listeners can carry on. So if you guys are interested, uh, check out the website. We'll post your uh, email contact information as well. So thanks, gents, for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Michael. That was awesome, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.